Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike here and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. Man, it's I, I'm sorry guys, this is later in the week than normal for Golden Age of Cardboard, but the reality is my week's kind of gotten all screwed up because I had a great experience last weekend where I went to the Missoula Card Show in Montana and met up with Ty and Matt, who does a lot of our editing and camera work here on Bench Clear. I met up with uh, Tyson, who does behind the numbers here on Bench Clear. We had this, you know, just team <laughs> team group meeting, I guess, in Missoula, and we had a great time. And there happened to be a card show, shockingly good card show. Not a ton of vintage for all you vintage lovers out there, but there was enough smattering that uh, it kept me, you know, kind of excited. I bought a bunch of stuff that's very random for me. And that's just kind of, you just kind of go with the show, whatever the show gives you, you kind of go, all right, what, what do I want to get? And you don't just spend money to spend money, but at the same time, if you find some cool stuff that maybe is out of your normal uh, kind of lane, I guess, then why not? And so I picked up basketball cards and a couple football cards and stuff that I've just wanted to add for a while. And then I got to spend the rest of the weekend after the show and Monday and Tuesday with Ty and his family. Uh, in Idaho, which is about a three-hour drive from Missoula. So we drove up Sunday morning and just beautiful drive through the mountains, the Rockies. It, it was just breathtaking and so much fun hanging out with him and all of the cards that he's dealing with and got to just thumb through a ton of vintage stuff, help him organize it and all that. It's just super fun. But again, today is Thursday that we're recording this and it's should be a national holiday, in my opinion. It's opening day. In fact, this is one of the great days in sports because we have this confluence of things where we've got basketball playoffs about to start, baseball opening day, and round one of the Masters is today, and Tiger Woods is playing. And so I have that going on the other screen. <laughs> like, I'm, I've been watching that all morning. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are going to talk a little bit about baseball and opening day and what that means for the hobby and stuff like that. But I want to bring my guest on to do that. Uh, my guest today is a guy that has become a regular on this show, and it's probably because we think a lot alike, we collect a lot alike, not exactly, but we have just similar mindsets about the hobby, so it makes it very easy to have a conversation with this guy. He's my friend that I get to call him my friend. It's George Diamond Yard Sports Cards. George, welcome to the show again. Thanks, Mike. It's awesome to be on, especially today. With it being opening day, like you said, this confluence of things, the Masters, it's awesome. Um, it's it's just we've gotten through it, COVID, everything, and the labor disagreements, and now it's awesome to be on with you. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you. And 
I don't know how many times you've been on the show now, three or four at least, five maybe. I don't know. Uh, why is it that this is your favorite podcast? Let's just be honest. We know it is. <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're all my favorite podcasts. No, this, is, this is great. Um, you know, we did that, that series with Don, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and and that was a, so much fun, and you know, ended up springing off into the '80s, which we had on my channel with Joe uh, Silver Jackify and you. Um, and then, you know, I think we've discussed some Rod Carew, Nolan Ryan stuff, and then some uh, ups and downs of the hobby, uh, especially during the boom. But uh, this is great to talk about. What we're going to talk about today that you've already revealed to me—not just opening day and baseball, but uh, grading companies. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit. Our topic du jour is going to be our primary topic of the day is going to be grading and vintage because now there's options are becoming more, you know, PSA isn't shut down anymore. It's an option. SGC is an option. There's other alternative grading companies and our thoughts about that. Not that we're going to give you do this, don't do that kind of stuff. But we are going to just tell you pros and cons of each of the avenues that you might go if you're thinking about grading some vintage cards. And it's important to think about these things because it's an expensive endeavor, right? So you, you got to think through the good and the bad of that because uh, we are both grading fans, right, George? You're oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not, I collect vintage cards all raw whatever uh patch cards jersey cards autographs but yeah grading is a, a large part of what I've, I've done in the last 15 years or so about since 05 06. well let's talk about opening day first before we get too deep into the grading thing because i think there might have been a point earlier this spring or, or end of winter where we're going are we even going to have a baseball season and it, it, most people listening to this podcast are vintage cards fans probably, but they're also probably baseball fans and none of us want to see baseball not happen. And so to you, what does this mean? The fact that there is a season and they're going to play a full season and all this stuff, even if it's a, you know, a few days uh, late getting started, does it affect the hobby? Does it matter? Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts about it in general, but regarding the hobby, um, I think it's a, big uptick for the hobby. Um, I don't think that, I think with the longer that this went on, uh, the more people started to get frustrated in general with the sport, but then with, with sports cards, um, because a lot of people have spent, whether you're a collector or you're a flipper or you're an investor, you're, you're spending your time, you're spending your money on, on these cards and, you know, with not having a season and, and, you know, you, they peel the curtain back a little bit and let you know kind of what's going on, where the disagreements are between the owners and the players. And, and that can sour people in a lot of ways. Um, but I think with this, resolving this, uh, putting this at least for now behind us, um, we can get this going. And, and, and really, in my opinion, the most important thing about getting this going from a hobby perspective is that we are in this era that I don't remember since maybe like the 80s, where we had all these great young stars in the game. And they are stars. And, and they've done a lot already. I mean, the Juan Soto's of the world are, what is he, 23? He's done a lot. You know, Walker Bueller, you know, everybody's picking him to be the NL Cy Young. I mean, we're kind of in this era, American League, nationally, all these great players are getting a chance to showcase their talents 
and it's not getting put off because of labor disagreement. And I think for the hobby that that really is a is, there's really a boom in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, is it going to boom again like it did? I don't know. But this is just it's cool to have this today. I mean, everybody's going to be tuning in to watch their favorite young players, their veteran players. And there's the veteran player end of it. What you got uh, Zach Granke's back in Kansas City. That's cool. He's starting a day, and then you got Pujols starting as an, as the first national National League DH in St. Louis. So there's so many things going on with the hobby related to cards and this labor dispute being resolved that I am so excited about, and I think everybody should be. Well, so what are, you got me? You piqued my interest with what you said. I have a lot of thoughts on this, and then you transition to the hobby aspect. What other thoughts do you have about it? Well, just historically, I thought thought it was very it was is crucial. It was crucial for them to resolve this, uh, the owners and the players. Um, you know, you and I are about the same age. We're closing in on 50. I remember 1981. I remember when Fernando was having this awesome year. And and, and the, the Expos were really doing well with all their young players, Carter and Reigns and Dawson. And that got stopped. And and I couldn't understand then. And I'm, I'm boy, I was like about 9, 10 at that time. Well, one of my sons, who's 11, is heavily into baseball, and he just can't seem to understand what the heck is going on, what was going on, why won't the season start? I mean, he understands it more than I did back then because internet and everything. But I guess um, what I'm saying is it's crucial to not have this stop. I mean, 1994 was so awful for baseball, uh, all baseball fans. I mean, they didn't even cancel the World Series during World War II, all right? They kept the season going, but because of greed and disagreement, they they didn't have a World Series in 1994. And I was just really hoping we weren't headed down that road. And I think that the you know uh, cooler heads prevailed uh, in this. So I mean, I just think it was crucial because the game is is popular in a lot of ways, but there's a lot more competition for kids' attention these days, as you know, with everything we have, devices, etc. So I think for baseball to be you know games every day, I mean, it's just cru- it was crucial that they solved this. Yeah, I, 94, ironically, as you mentioned, the 81 Expo, the Expos were leading the NL East in 94 when the season was canceled, you know, and uh, the, that was the Felipe Alou, I think, was their manager. They had Vlad Jr. or Vlad Sr., I mean, Larry mm-hmm. Walker. Uh, they were stacked. Pedro Martinez was pitching yeah. for them back then. Was Wetland their closer, I think. I don't know. Yeah, That's right. Anyway, uh, and you mentioned kids and and how important it is to keep their attention. And, you know, I, I keep, I brought this up every time I've talked about the Missoula show that I just went to, but it's because it was such a striking thing for me to see was how many kids were at this show. It was unbelievable. It was every adult was pretty much paired with a kid. And that was the neatest thing to see. And I talked to when we were, Julie and I were at lunch and saw a dad and a son and like, Hey, yeah, we, talking to them. Is this your first show? Yeah, it's his first show. He was six or seven. Uh, Dad had driven three hours to take his kid to this show and to his first hard show. And he was having such a blast. And I just saw that theme repeated, repeated. So if we, if we had squished that or squelched that with a labor dispute that ran on in perpetuity, I think that could have been devastating. Right. And now maybe that's averted to some degree. Well, uh, yeah. let me jump in here with what go along with what you said here. Um, we had in Arizona, there was a lot of things going on. You went to the Missoula card show the week before there were two card shows in the Southwest. There was the mint collective in Vegas. And then in Arizona at the Phoenix convention center, we had the uh, Arizona state card show, which is the biggest card show I have ever seen in Arizona. 
I mean, there's like 350 tables. I mean, I'd have to harken back to like the 80s. And we, I worked the show. I got a lot of cards graded that are related to what we're going to talk about regarding SGC and PSA. And I was consigning them for a collection. And uh, there were so many kids there. There were kids, dads and kids all over, just like you're saying. Um, and it was a lot of traffic, you know. And, and to think, you know, we had a giant card show here and Vegas is only four and a half hours away. You know, and they had a giant card show. I don't know how the Mint Collective went. I hope it went well. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, this is this is a hobby about kids. It's going to have to go into the future. Um, you and I are going to croak at some point, <laughs> hopefully later rather than sooner. And, you know, cards are going to be, you know, I don't know, in the virtual world we can talk about. That's a totally different topic. But, you know, the youth are the way that this is going to move. And if uh, you get these kids involved, um, not only with the cards, but the sport. Uh, it's going to move on and move forward and be strong. I've always said to truly love the cards, you have to truly love the sport. And I, and I stand by that comment. Some people think they're mutually exclusive and I don't believe so. I, my love of the sport transformed into the love of the hobby. If you, if you love the cards just for the cards, it, it feels like it's a money thing versus a passion thing. And, you know, shame on me for for making such an exclusive statement but that's just how i how i see it and uh it's so important if if what you what you observed in the arizona show what i observed in the Missoula show is a testimony for where the hobby is health-wise involving the next generation i think we're in really good shape and that's really good news heading into like you know we're about to have the nationals going to be here before we know it i mean we're literally less than four months away and it's going to go by in a blink of an eye, which I'm excited. You're going to your first national this year. Uh, I'm get yeah. It's going to be an awesome experience. I mean, we're going to see, I mean, everybody there, I'm looking forward to seeing all these guys that I've gotten to know on YouTube. And I mean, I've never met you personally. I feel like I know you, you know, I'm going to get to get to shake your hand and hang out. And with all these guys that we've, we've all been in contact with and the new guys that have jumped in the community since last year or since last year's national or the guys who couldn't make it in 2020. Um, but he got on after that. So it's, it's going to be really cool. Um, Atlantic city is a little bit of a trek from out here. And, uh, you know, I was just, I didn't even know that they didn't have direct flights to Atlantic City. <laughs> I had never been there. So fly into Philly and drive down. Yeah. Well, just to warn you and prepare you, I'm much better looking in real person, in real life. Uh, mm -hmm. The camera here adds 10 pounds. And then you yeah. would say, well, well, how many cameras do you have on you, Mike? Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's going to be great to meet everybody in person, like you said. It's just a big family reunion. Is, is how we describe it. And the cards are, oh, by the way, the world's largest card show is also going on all around us. So let's get into the topic for the day where uh, I don't think we're going to, it's going to be funny how you see it and I see it because we didn't prep in terms of how we feel about this topic. We don't have a prep, so let's do this thing. <laughs> it's, it's totally off the cuff. Other than here's the basic topic, let's run with it. And then it always tends to work out pretty well to have a great conversation. I am historically a PSA guy, as everyone knows. I, I am a set registry addict, self self uh, admitted, and have no shame in that. There are people that think that's ridiculous. Fine. I love the registry. I love 
collecting sets. I love collecting projects. I love that. And, and I love the consistency of having one grading card slab in my collection. And that's maybe that's a little bit of that OCD mentality. I don't know. Uh, but I, I like everything to look the same. I like everything to be the same. And to that end, with PSA having shut down and now reopening over the last couple of months, slowly but surely, it's given me hope for what registries could look like, what collectors like me who do this this way. Uh, there's some hope for the future, although it's not really, I'm not like super excited because of, I don't know, to me, they're never going to be back at, I, I used to grade cards at $8 a card. You know, mm -hmm. that's not happening again, ever, ever. Uh, I could see maybe the occasional special for like you said, you had mentioned earlier, the swing in 60 set to me, private. Did I do any swing in six things like that catering to set registry people that want to get a common basic card graded $15 maybe, but that's going to be once in a blue moon. I think the standard $25 is probably as low as they're going to get for just kind of a standard grade. What are your thoughts on the immediate future of what PSA grading looks like, submitting things like that, cost and et cetera. Well, let me just give you a background. Uh, you were talking about how you collect the set registry and you want to have things in the same slab. Um, while you and I collect a lot of similar things, I do not do the registry. So I come from a different perspective in that sense. I don't care if I have different slabs. I'm, I'm not, you know, tied to one, even though I do tend to go to PSA. Um, but in regard to PSA, so it's a little bit different of, I have a little bit different of a, coming from a different place to some yeah. degree. No, that's good to have different. <laughs> yeah. It's not just, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, but right. I, I think that uh, PSA at some point is going to have, if PSA is going to continue the set registry, which is their, one of their biggest draws, they have a couple of big draws or advantages over the other grading companies but let's just focus on the set registry. That is a major leg up on the other, uh, the other companies. I mean, whether it's a set registry for an actual set or it's a Hank Aaron registry basic or, you know, or, or advanced sets or the 500, was it 300 great cards by Mike Payne? Um, 300 great. 300. I mean, whatever these sets are that they put together and they end up um, canonizing as part of the registry, that's, really important and and a lot of those cards that are in these registries are not expensive cards even in high grade and so in order to promote your own registry you have to be grading cards at a lower price i mean right now it's 50 bucks right and we were talking about this this is if you win one of their lotteries i have a i have a submission right here down here of, of cards that i'm going to be submitting with a buddy of mine and I have cards with them right now for 50 bucks. Um, but I mean, we have a lot of cards that uh, would would do nicely on an eight to twelve dollar uh, submission, you know, bulk submission. So I just don't it doesn't seem to make sense as a business model to me to have the set registry that PSA has. It's massive. Have all these fans of the set registry like you and thousands, tens of thousands in the community. And, and not give the submitters a way to expand their set registry because that's just such an advantage that they have 
with the registry over SGC, over Beckett, over whoever. I mean, those are the main ones. But I just don't see. I, so I, I forecast, and Nat Turner has talked about the possibility of getting back to grading at a lower price. Um, now, they're, they're so backed up, though, now. I mean, I don't even think even if they wanted to do it, they couldn't do it. Um, if you look at your, like our swing in 60s, which was right before they closed down, they had this swing in 60s bulk special. And it would have been great if I had a bunch of 60s cards. We only had like 25. We sent them in, and that has not been logged in. I mean, it's been logged in, but they haven't even done the research and ID portion of it. And it's been a year. A year. They're on step three, and you guys know what the steps are. They're on step three of the eight-step process. So, I mean, I just don't even know if they have the capacity to do bulk service. I think they would get back to it, but I think it's going to take at least another year to get to like a $12 to $15 service. But I think they're going to have to bring it back, especially for fans of the set registry. So how do they distinguish between a guy like me who wants to send in a – literally, we're talking most of these cards raw are a couple of bucks. You know, so – how do you justify, how do you get it to a price where I can go, I just want it slabbed. I'll pay 10 or $12 to do that. I'm not paying 50. I'm not paying 25. You know, how can they do that? I just, I can't see how, where they get to that point anywhere in the near future, because you have to go, okay, you can only send it in if you're this category of card, you know, how do you keep the guys sending in from sending in a hundred Gavin Luxes again, or whoever the hot Wander Franco, mm-hmm. you know, all their 2022 top series one cards. I, I guess you make it, you know, you can only send in this stuff, you know, right. I guess you could make it a, a quarterly special or kind of thing or collector club special. Um, but I, I think that's a difficult road for them to navigate as a company. Cause they could, if they wanted to yeah. just grade all the cards they want at $50. But, but they're, they're not going to get people who are set registry people to right. to do any of that stuff. And that's just money they're leaving on the table. And I'll give you an example. I have the set I'm consigning or this group of cards I'm consigning. Now, some of the stars, the, I sent them all to SGC, the stars, right? So here's a, here's a star. And this is a super nice card. Um, this card goes, goes to SGC or PSA. It doesn't matter because it's a nice card. It's all all-time Hall of Famer. But there's a bunch of 66s that I have that might grade, P- not a bunch, but, you know, a, a couple dozen that might grade PSA 8 and higher. I can't send those in. I can't send those in for two reasons. I can't send them in to PSA because they're not worth $50 a card to grade them. I mean, if even if you get a PSA 9 of a 66 common, you're going to sell it for 50 75 bucks. So that doesn't make any sense. Now, I'd love to send an SGC but they don't have a set registry. So who's buying SGC commons? Not many people. Um, I mean, I could try to move them, but I'm not going to get any money off them. If And this is for a consignment. I'm not talking about from a collection perspective. But I'm just saying, like, so it's just this spot with the, with the set registry. You know, I, I can't send lesser or, or commons that are high grade from vintage cards to, to SGC at this point. Or I don't feel like that's – maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe somebody on the comments would – would make a comment that would, would convince me otherwise. Um, but I can't send them to PSA either because you're right. It's 50 bucks. If they come back a year from now, and it's all relative. If they come back a year from now and they're grading cards for $15 a card, well, you know, I imagine the community will be like, hallelujah, that's nothing. 
that's nothing. You know, before, if they had a bulk special for $15 a card, you'd say that's crazy, right? Yeah. And they're, they're in this delicate place where they have to balance making profit. They're a for-profit company. I have no problem with a company charging an amount that the, that the market will bear. If they can bring in all the cards they can grade at $50, good. Why would they, they would never lower their prices, but they risk the risk they have here is, as you said earlier, they're what they built their business on is these set registry people. They risk alienating people like me and just going, forget it. I'm not even going to care anymore. And I'm going to go to another alternative. Which, yeah. And, and this is, you know, what the, and I'll just talk about real quick. I don't know. I just feel like talking at this point about the experience I have with SGC and my old experience with PSA. Back when I started doing this, like 15, 2005, when I started grading cards and submitting them. And I wasn't submitting. I submitted like my first submission was like 200 cards, um, which is a decent amount back then. And they were like five bucks a card. But they, over the years, they, they treated me with great, like as a, as a small time collector, you know, I submitted cards, five card submission, 15 card submission, whatever. They treated me well. Um, the cards got back quickly. Um, if there were any issues, they would, I would personally call, you know, call them, talk to a person. You know, it, it was a great process. Um, and it was a smaller company and people weren't sending in, um, I'm trying to think back in that time period, like they weren't sending in 700 Ryan Howard rookies or, or 700 David Wright rookies, even though those were great players at that time. Um, and so I, I felt like, you know, boy, this is great. Now, as time has passed, they've gotten bigger and it's been more, you know, difficult to actually talk to a physical person when you have issues you see online, a lot of guys doing submissions, having issues. Oh, they damage this card. They damage that card. Sometimes who do I talk to? What I do. Meanwhile, on the SGC front recently, when I made a hundred card submission to SGC, they got it back quickly. It was like door to door three weeks. The grades were accurate. I felt like. They didn't damage anything, and uh, it felt like the way it used to be at PSA. And I said this in my video, but I really feel this way. Like you're like, wow, they they really were on it to get them back, you know, quickly. They they did a good job with the grading. There wasn't anything that I said, wow, that's an outlier. Um, even though there's anything can happen, but I just felt like, wow, what a great experience. Um, will I will I sub with them again? Absolutely. I'm preparing another submission right now. So you know, I think PSA has gotten so big and they've scaled so much that, that, you know, it'd be great if they brought back more of this customer service that they used to be, used to be good at. And I would say right now they're, they're not good at it. So having had multiple conversations with Peter Steinberg, who is the president of SGC, interviewed him for this show, interviewed him on other things on bench clear. Yeah. Emailed him privately. He is wanting it, from him down, the culture there is all about us, the collectors, the customers. And you don't get that feeling with PSA. Now they're very corporate, you know, with even though they're not public anymore, they've been taken private again by Nat Turner and his group of super uber rich people. Uh, it's still a corporate feel that takes some of the personality out of the hobby, which leads to bad customer service, bad experiences for people. Um, I don't know that that can be, I, I'm not even criticizing that. It's more of a, that's just how it is. I can heap praise all over SGC for what they're doing as a business, trying to gain market share, but who's to say that two years from now, SGC continues to 
take market share that they don't end up in the same boat PSA is in now. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Where's no, PSA? Okay. Well, no, I'm saying couldn't SGC just because of their potential growth, if they continue to build market share, end up in the same boat as PSA is now, two years from now, three years from now, five years from now? They get so big that they can't handle it. I, I imagine right now that they're getting really big and they're going to have to scale. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's kind of like the the local local you know restaurant that you loved so much when you were growing up, and now it's a ma massive chain and it's not the same. And you know, Lou isn't there running the store anymore. You know, it's I, I don't know. I, I, SGC and, and Peter's done a great job. I've watched your uh, your podcast with him interviews with him um can psa or can sgc get there i mean i don't know what their goal is obviously their goal is probably to make as much money as they can uh understanding along the way that this customer service will carry the carry the day especially I mean, we're collectors you know i mean i mean is it going to be that that psa is like the flippers and and businesses grading company and sgc is the collector's grading company you know, i'm not saying that that's the case but a lot of collectors that I know, um, you know, you, you, you're not, you're not, I'm not hesitant to submit to SGC as I used to be. Um, now, has, as, as a slab, an SGC slab and a PSA slab, has it caught up? Not entirely in value. Um, you know, I, I sold a lot of mantles, got a lot of mantles graded, and the PSA mantles go for more than the SGC mantles typically unless it's a super nice, super nice SGC mantle of the same grade. Um, that's just a fact right now. Uh, but I do think that SGC is closing the gap. Um, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't like to see them get so big that they turn into, you know, customer services PSA like, but um, I know that they're doing a good job. So who knows what the future holds for them. If they continue to good do a great job, they're going to continue to expand. Uh, I think a key in, I talked privately to peter about this the idea of this universal set registry which again is psa's number one advantage i think over the other companies from a just not big card but just the everyday card that most people would never grade period the universal set registry would be something i think sgc well pretty much everyone but psa would be in favor of honestly sharing information to, to create this so that they could get themselves on a level level playing field for that. The reality is it'll never, I, again, unless an, a third party outside third party does that without the cooperation of the grading companies, I don't think it ever happens because PSA has no reason to be a part of that. Well, I, I think that, I think that PSA's contention um, and a lot of the hobbies contention for a long time, I'm not saying this is true, but the contention of PSA and most people who are flipping high-end cards and making a lot of money on them and trying to maximize value is that PSA grades the cards harder. That and I, I know that 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 oh I, I just said that oh my god, but I have personal experience where I've snapped SGC slabs them to PSA raw and they've gotten a lower grade. Um, rarely have they gotten a higher grade. Maybe they've gotten the same grade sometimes. Um, but is this this is something you could just test out? But I think SGC standards have gotten harder over time. Um, but I think that there's this perception in the hobby that a, a Mickey Mantle and a PSA seven is 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 a har harder to get than an SGC seven. Um, 
Is that the truth? I don't know. But in regard to your question of the set registry, PSA is going to say, well, your, your SEC 7 is not equivalent to our PSA 7. It's more like our PSA 6. And that's where they're going to lie and continue to lie because, I mean, I say lie, I mean, like, that's their position because they, they want to be the superior grading company. They want to be the, a, the A1. Uh, they don't want to be the A2. I think that's a bunch of, I think that position by PSA is a bunch of BS if I'm just being very frank, because corners are corners, surface is surface, edges are edges, centering is centering. And it's gone back and forth. I've had, I have no periods where people thought SGC was grading harder. And I think that's such a misnomer. I, I don't like that term being thrown around. I want the card graded fairly and accurately. That's all I give a crap about. And the truth is, and both both companies would argue differently but a psa 7 if you cracked it it should get an sgc 7 if they now they probably have different standards on different things a little bit to have a, a unique process for their grading system but the reality is it's all going to be pretty darn close and i think you get better with that if neither one of the major grading companies do this but if they had subgrades right and you knew what was really costing. You know, it's funny that the, the company that has fallen behind the furthest during COVID is the company with the subgrades. And they have even belittled their own subgrades. They offer a service without subgrades, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's like what's what should be this great thing. I, like, I, I agree with you. I think subgrades are a great thing. Um, and now they're just, they have, they don't even do it on all their slabs now. It's just, and they've fallen behind and SGC's caught up. And pass pass them in my opinion, and uh, and PSA continues to not have subgrades either. It's funny we're both getting the same message. Both of our phones are dinging at the same time because George and I are part of a a fantasy baseball league, which I am playing George this week. So I really shouldn't even be talking to him. We should be enemies right now because uh, we're head to head this week on our first week of fantasy. I said football. I think I meant baseball. Fantasy baseball, and our league is blowing our because <laughs> all the games are starting and people are starting to talk smack very early. I will not talk any smack, George, although I'm going to win. I will text you smack. And my son drafted my team. That's why it took so long on the picks. And that's why ah. it's going to, that's why it's going to be so good and successful. <laughs> we should, Time will tell. Um, <laughs> where was I going with that? Um, I had a point that I was trying to make and I got distracted. But I, would, I just want to jump in here with the grading thing real quick. And I, I think yeah. that you know, everybody comparing grading companies. I mean, and, and this is... You know, at the, at the end of the at, at the whole thing I hear is that a grading, a grade on a card, a grade on a card is an opinion. This is an opinion of SGC that this is a two. It's an opinion. It's not a fact. And people get lost in this and they get lost in this. Oh, my God, this is a seven. Oh, my gosh, that's so great. Well, you know, tomorrow it might be a five. Who knows? But I mean, it's all an opinion. It's like going to a doctor when you have an ailment and the doctor says, well, I think we're going to do it this way. We'll treat it this way. And you go to another doctor and they say something else. Now, the good doctors tend to have consistent opinions, which is why I think most of the time the PSA and the SGC cards come back somewhat similarly in grade. But I, I do think that, you know, we're talking about subgrades. Subgrades don't entirely tell the story. Um, you know, there's four subgrades on Beckett, right? There are other things that they're looking at now. I mean, they're using all this technology to look at these cards where you and I wouldn't look at it in the past and be like, oh, yeah, this thing's a 10 all day. 
I mean, I tell people all the time with grading, they'll, they'll look at a card and they're like, I can't believe this got a six. This is an eight all day. Did you look at the surface? Did, did you look at the surface on the front and the back? The corners might be sharp, but it looks like, you know, somebody, you won't see it, but when you put it in the light, oh, somebody put their fingernail in there. It's just stuff like this, um, you know, that, that people don't catch sometimes. I know we all look at different things. Um, and we've been taught to since the 80s, we were in the card grading like we would talk, is that a near mint Don Mattingly rookie or a mint one or whatever? Right, you know, right. we're, we're going back and forth with that. Now, I'm not going to trade you my Dwight Gooden rookie because that Don Mattingly rookie is not in mint condition. This Gooden's in mint. You know, and you go back and forth uh, when kids in the 60s didn't even think about this. And kids in the 70s probably didn't think about it either. But all of a sudden, condition became an issue in the 80s. And, uh, you know, if you look, I think Joe Orlando is a kind of our age too. And, and the guys who kind of came up with the idea of grading are kind of in our age group uh, to some degree. Um and, and we want authenticity as well. But at the end of the day, it's all an opinion. And then people get very wrapped up in their own cards. And I'm just telling the truth. Like, it's very personal to people. Like, I've held on to this Kofax rookie since I was a kid. This thing's a six all day. And it gets a three or a four. And they're offended. Um, but it's just an opinion. You know, at the end of the day, if you're a collector, it's your card. Enjoy your card for what it is. Totally agree. Um Great points about subgrades. I, I think it would be beneficial to the hobby for everyone to use subgrades. However, what because the funny thing is they're grading all of those aspects. What's the harm with putting that on the flip? You know, why does it have to cost more like for CSG to put subgrade? They're grading the subgrades. Why wouldn't they just why does it have yeah. to cost more for them to add? I, I to believe. I mean, I was looking, isn't doesn't SGC say they have something like a 40 point system that they apply to every card? I mean, I think PSA does too. I mean, you know, you look at a card and you're like, man, the eye appeal on that card doesn't like doesn't look like a doesn't look like a one. Like this PE got a, it's got a two. It probably should have got a one one five, but the eye appeal was good, so they probably bumped it up a half a notch. But I mean, there's so many factors in. I mean, we you know corners, edges, centering. I get it, surface. But well, what about eye appeal? What about the back? I mean, you could go down a rabbit hole here of like so many things. I get the show. What's registration, registration, you know, color quality. Yeah. Yeah. And you start, and now that they're doing scans, PSA does scans of all these $50 cards or that you send in. And so you can go online and look at the scans and now they can compare these scans and say, Oh, this Dick Butkus rookie was, was a seven, but this one, it looks like a seven, but the color's different. It's off, you know? And so, I think they're getting as the database grows and there's more information, I think it'll be more helpful to these grading companies because a lot of them have you know a couple of veteran guys or women that are there. Um, but they have to retrain these people all the time, I imagine. Uh, let's let's get into something because we're I, I love that we're kind of broadly discussing it. And we're only talking about SGC and PSA here, mainly because if you're a vintage person. BVG has pretty much become a non-factor, a non-player in the vintage grading world. HGA, CSG, all the other newcomers are an afterthought for the most part. You're, you're primarily going to be looking at PSA or SGC. And to that end, if you were submitting to, what would you say? All right, I'm, I want to submit to SGC. What kind of cards should I be looking at to send there? What would you, and this is again, our opinions. This is George's opinion, my opinion. 
what kind mm-hmm. of advantages would you say they have? Like if you're going, hey, here's the advantages of sending to SGC versus PSA, and then we'll do the flip of that. I will say that um, in, it's changed drastically during during COVID. It's changed drastically with SGC's turnaround time increasing rapidly and PSAs decreasing. So like with this collection I was consigning, I would have sent at least 40% of the cards of the 100-card lot to PSA. But I didn't because I knew I couldn't get them back in time to sell them for my consigner. I couldn't get them back in time for this Arizona State card show. Um, so part of that, number one, was speed. Do I want my cards back quickly? Do I want to wait a long time? Okay, that's the first thing. I go with SGC. Right, I'm, I'm going to write these to speed. You would say the advantage would be uh, yeah. SGC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speed and the advantage is SGC. And, uh, I mean, I, I have two five-card orders PSA right now, and they're going pretty quick. They really are on these five-card orders. I mean, they're right now it's not as quick as SGC, the three weeks door-to-door. They've probably been at, at PSA now for a month, five weeks maybe. Um, and they're already in the grading – they're in the, the slabbing process and stuff like that. Um, but those are $50 a card. You know, a, a SGC card is getting – you're talking about um, certain subgroups, $23 a card. So and they're and they're rarely are going to upcharge you. I mean, I probably couldn't submit a Jackie Robinson rookie, but I submit this, this Dick Buckus and it got a six point five. I didn't get upcharged. Twenty three bucks to grade it. So the value now will this Dick Buckus in a six point five SGC will this fetch what a PSA six point five does? No, it won't. It just won't uh, unless I get fortunate. So I think that right now speed is SGC right now. Um. Cost is SGC, wins in that category. Um, Aftermarket value. I, I would say that the, the value goes to PSA still. Um, like I said, I would, like this Dick Butkus would have gone to PSA, but for the fact that I had to get it back. It just is what yeah. it is. Um, I had three cards I subbed to PSA because they were three nicest cards of this collection. And I've shown this one a couple times with this mantle, got a seven. Uh I sent it to PSA. A man on a seven is going to carry a premium. Did they upcharge uh, you on that one? No, because I paid one hundred and fifty dollars to get it graded. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's you know. But of course, if you pay one hundred and fifty and that mantle comes back a four point five, you know, I'm I'm eating crow. I'm I'm in trouble. Right. Right. Um, so you got to be. You have to have some experience with your uh, what you submit. So um, I wrote down some other categories. What about yeah. accuracy? You know. I'm going to mention this. Uh, John, uh, John Don Mangini had posted something about way to go again, PSA. And he had a series of different cards that were poorly graded and incorrectly graded by PSA. Like one was a Gibson rookie, a 59 Gibson that had the, the end kind of ripped off of it. Looked like a, a rat chewed the end off of the upper right hand corner and they gave it a four, um, which of course it should get a one or an authentic, um, you know, they're all going to make mistakes. Uh, I think, I mean, accuracy, the culture is, I think that to some degree that PSA is slightly more accurate, um, but I think it's, you know, that's why it carries a premium. That's the belief. I'm not saying that's the truth. Uh, You know, I think that the further you go down in this, the common belief is that pre-war, especially tobacco, is uh, tobacco and strip cards and things like that are graded equally 
by SGC and PSA, and SGC may even be superior in that area. Uh, I'm not a huge tobacco collector, but I, I do follow a lot of it. Um, the slab, what does the slab look like? I will tell you this. This is interesting. And you, you know this from watching videos probably, that SGC is in love with half grades. They're in love with half grades. And I mean, I have paparazzi um, talking ball cards. Shout out to him. He does a lot of SGC PSA reveals. But they, I mean, I probably had on a 100-card order 40 half grades. They love half grades. And PSA on a 100-card order, I'll typically get five half grades. So I, does that mean that that PSA is saying, well, we're not going to give it a seven. We're going to give it a six, five. You know, or does it mean that that SGC is going to say, well, it's a six, but it's got good eye appeal, so we're giving it a 6.5. I don't know the inner workings of that, but for some reason, and I think most people would agree that SGC just, and I like the half grades. It's fine. I mean, you know, then again, this was a nice Yaz. I thought this thing was an eight all day long. I thought PSA would give it an eight. SGC gave it a 7.5. This was another beautiful card. Looked like it was an eight to me. SGC gave it a 7.5. So I have heard many people, these are the grades, and they say, yes, yeah, GC's tough on vintage now. Interesting. So that's been some okay. of my questions. What, what other questions do you have about what, what are points? But, but overall, you would say, if you, I, I would say they're probably neutral or even on accuracy. Uh, I don't think that PSA, especially on vintage, we're all going to have times, like you said, where we're in love with our own. We think it, we have these golden, you know, or these rose colored glasses on when we're looking at our cards. Oh, this is a, this. Um, but if we probably were truly honest with ourselves, they both probably grade reasonably accurately. Right. Oh, I agree completely. I will tell you in my experience, um, I would not send an off center card. Like if I had, um, I had examples in here. Um, <clears throat> I had some off-center cards, a couple 63 errands that were totally off-center. Um, those are typically an SGC card. Uh, PSA is either going to give an OC designation or hammer it. Um, miscut cards. Um, PSA will not disclaim the miscut qualifier. The fact that PSA uses qualifiers and SGC doesn't would make you think, just in general, if I have a card that I think is going to get a qualifier, of some type, I probably should send it to SGC because it's cleaner and I get a card that doesn't have some kind of parentheses for a, a miscut or, or stain or something like that. Right. So those are the types of cards that also, to me, are SGC cards. And I think in the past, in, in this, I'm generalizing, but in the past, I think that a lot of people have thought that an SGC card, well, if it looks nice, what's wrong with it? You know, there must be miscut, must have a wax stain, something like that. And now I think that that has gone away. I think people are looking at a card like this Maris and saying, dude, that's a nice seven. And I'm like, yeah, it is. If it, I think it would get a PSA seven. Um, because in the past, people have sent their cards in that are miscut, stained, et cetera, to the company that doesn't give qualifiers and keep, kept them away from the company that does. Right. We also talked about customer service. I think we both would agree that from a customer service standpoint, SGC <clears throat> with that game right now. So if I look down these things that we should care about as collectors potentially submitting cards to a grading company to add to our collection, not necessarily to resale, although 
the aftermarket value does matter. It should matter in your decision process. A lot of this is, you know, you could go down and go, SGC wins this, 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 all these different categories that we just kind of outlined quickly. Why would anybody send a card they have today to PSA? Why wouldn't, other than aftermarket value, if you're a collector, <clears throat> which is, this is all self-evaluation, by the way. This is me going, why wouldn't I? I have a stack of cards over here ready to go to PSA when they get to a reasonable price level or they have one of those specials that we talked about earlier. Why wouldn't I just send them to SGC right now? Well, because they're not part of the set. They're not in the set registry. I can't add my autographs. I can't add my 300 great cards by Mike Payne. I can't do that. I can't finish my 56 top set that I want to grade or my 33 Gaudis. I'm not talking about me. I'm just hypothetically saying it. Yep. I know people that are collecting, though, like a 33 Gaudi set. Well, you know, if you say, I want to get it all in a PSA 5, put it in the registry, you find it. I mean, they, I think, though, collectors will will bend a little bit on that to some degree. If they have a super rare card that they can't find uh, in a PSA slab, they'll have to get an SGC slab if they're not married to the registry. Um, I also think with the, like, for example, if there was, uh, I think somebody, was it, was it Peter or somebody that posted um, of SGC that this 56 Mantle recently, not 56, 52 Mantle, Tops Mantle recently sold in an SGC slab on an inferior grade in the same auction, sold higher than a PSA slab um, that was a higher grade. And, and then, yeah, I think that was what I saw. And uh, it was like, yeah, see, SGC does, does get, garner as much money. Um, you know, it would be like, well, what, what do you want to, if you had a, if you had a 52 tops mantle, where do you send it? You send it to one of the two. I wouldn't send it to any of anybody, but one of these two companies, where would you send it, Mike? Do you, well, I would send it to PSA, but I am, I would say it's like a glacier, but I am moving towards being a lot more open-minded about it because the reality is even though I'm on the registries, I still have my own checklist for the 300 great cards, for example. And if, if my goal is completion, why should I give a crap about the registry? And I do, this is like me trying to talk myself into this, right? It's, it's talking through the logic and the emotion. Of, why are you doing it this way when the reality, because I, I don't mind the SGC holder. It doesn't fit the beast very well. That would be another reason for me to do <laughs> or just make a new beast maybe. But the the point is I I bought a few cards recently that are SGC slabbed for different projects that I'm working on, whether it's player runs. I bought the 54 Bowman Ted Williams in, a, in an SGC slab because because it was great value this is the reality it was a beautiful looking card it was accurately graded and it's way cheaper in an sgc slab in that instance again i do think they are closing the gap and i think there are instances as you pointed out front that he on the 52 mantle that it can be even more but i'm the reality is for most cards the SGC, sgc equivalent grade is going to sell for less that's appealing, honestly. If I'm trying to stretch my hobby dollar as a collector even more now because the prices are so much higher, it's in, in general that it's a challenge. Why wouldn't I consider SGC cards? And so 
it's it's that registry part i do agree that that matters to me still even though i'm talking myself out of it it matters to have everything consistent within my collection uh to me you said it doesn't matter to you earlier like hey if i have all these rod carew cards if i have a few well, sgc and some PSA and yeah, and full and full disclosure i like of this collection i i picked up two of the cards um and one and two sgc cards and one was a mantle a 63 mantle and a six and uh it's a really nice card and it's undervalued in a six sgc it just is uh, i picked up this card too it's for my kofax run i think it's undervalued i think it's this card is a nice card um, I, and I mean, I think it, especially now with a lot of new SGC slabs floating around in the last year and a half where people couldn't get their cards graded by PSA, that there's a lot of cards out there that are really nice cards. They're not just quote SGC cards. They're, they're really nice cards. SGC has graded these. They've been active. They've been out there and you can find real values uh, because right now they're going for what? 30% less. I'm, I'm just guessing here. I'm not saying that's the truth, but that's what I've seen. Um, but there's no reason to think that some of these cards, if not most of these cards, would be the same grade in PSA. Um, and so there's a lot of value in SGC right now, I think. Yeah. So uh, Tiger just made a birdie, by the way, on a par five. So he is one under in the Masters through 13 holes, which is unbelievable considering. Sorry, I know this is a baseball card broadcast, but oh, my gosh. Uh, all right. So. <laughs> See, I got distracted with golf. Yeah. I'm about to go play golf. So we're going to uh, kind of finish this up with everybody out there has a choice. You have a choice of where to send your cards. You shouldn't let uh, any personality on YouTube or whatever or on podcasts or anything dissuade you from one or the other. But we're trying to do this podcast to present, A, our opinions on different things and B, observations that we've seen from the different companies and why it matters and hopefully give you some thinking points of when you're making your decision, what do I care about most? Do I care more about speed or do I care more about secondary value? That should play into your decision. And so us going through this is again, not necessarily promoting or dissing one or the other companies that are out there. I like them both. If that makes sense, if that can live, they can live together, I think, in the same house. George, you have plenty of both in your collection. Yeah, I mean, you know, I eat at multiple restaurants. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I, I will tell you that this is something we didn't cover um, with what we were talking about vintage. Um, because there aren't many cards that are vintage cards that grade this highly. And this is just an example, but this is not a vintage card. This is a 9.5. That's a difference. SGC has nine. By the way, it's a 2008 Kobe Bryant. Yeah, 2008 Kobe um, LeBron's guarding him. It's an SGC 9.5. And so with SGC having the 9.5 grade, and Beckett has it too, it's something PSA doesn't have. Um, some people like it that they have a 9.5. I personally think it hurts them. I think it hurts their, I think it hurts the, the price of those nine fives, it doesn't make the tens more valuable. I don't know, but PSA just says it's a 10. We don't have a nine five. So there's a lot more PSA. Nine, there's a lot of PSA nines out there. Maybe, I don't know how that affects a modern guy, ultra modern, modern collector will be able to tell you because they submit a lot of these and sell them. 
but that's something we don't deal with in the vintage world much, unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're a New York Yanks fan seven buying PSA nines of, of Thurman Munson and Tom Seaver. Right, right. Just to rib him a little bit. Well, thank you, George, for this conversation. Uh, I know it's one that probably has been happening since grading has existed. It will be one that continues as long as grading does exist and is a thing, which I think will be, it's here to stay. Remember when it was a fad? I remember when grading was a fad. In fact, I hated grading at the very beginning for years because I thought this is just stupid. Who cares? I just want the card. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And here mm -hmm. I am now very much a grading advocate. Although yeah, I we, have, we have two companies. I mean, again, I'm not Beckett is Beckett, but I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that SGC is closing the gap. There is a gap. SGC is closing the gap. Um, and SGC has become a very strong number two at this point. Uh, they've separated themselves from Beckett, in my opinion. Um, and you have these two companies that are out there that are both appear to be very good. Um, people submit, I mean, they if <laughs> they were so, I mean, PSA is so backed up. They're still backed up. So, I mean, they're doing something okay. I know a lot of people don't like them for different reasons, but, you know, it is, it is here to stay, Mike, for sure. And uh, it's nice that we have at least two real strong ones right now. Um, there could be others that are, you know, on the horizon. But I do like where SGC is going for sure. And I think PSA needs to be aware of that. They need to think about that. They need to not rest on their laurels, rest on their reputation, rest on their history. They need to be going. They need to be looking behind them going, hey, they're doing some cool stuff here. We need to keep up and and we will see how that transpires over the next six to 12 months. Yeah, I didn't have an Arizona State card show. I didn't have I had all SGC slabs. I did not have a single person come up to me and say, hey, where are the PSA slabs? Hey, I don't do SGC. I'm not buying SGC. Now, maybe they walked by and they just walked by. They didn't tell me. But nobody voiced that in three days and, you know, how many hours. It was 20 hours of, of being at a card show. They didn't They didn't dismiss SGC. They didn't belittle it. Um, right. So I thought that was, I mean, that was important. So I'm excited about opening day, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet, man. Have a good one, everybody out there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you soon.